0: Simon, so 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 good to have you on the Goodman Lantern podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. You know, it's it's kind of funny because it it kind of shows me where our journey begins in life. You know, we obviously met in as part of EO London, uh, that map the EO Accelerator, EOA, and uh, you know, we have we have both now sort of um, you know run our journeys. We are on our own paths over here. Last time we met, we were actually in. In Cape Town, which I believe is where you are right now, or you spend some time there at the moment, so uh, so that's awesome and a big congratulations on being a father uh, you Thank know, you it's, it's such a great experience I'm sure I'm sure you, you relish relishing it already and the sleepless mm-hmm. nights which are part and parcel of it. but Simon, I would love you to introduce yourself properly tell us who you are, what you do, and let's let's get into it
1: yeah, absolutely so first of all, thanks for having me. On your show, and uh, very excited about talking about the things that we're going to be talking about today. Um, as to my person, quick intro: I am Simon Chapuzot. I noticed you tried to avoid pronouncing my last name, which is a bit complicated because it's French. It took me years to learn that. Um, but I'm not French. I'm originally from Germany. Uh, we lived in in London. That's where we met. Now I'm in Cape Town. And um, my background really is in in film. I'm a Hollywood-trained script analyst. So I've learned to analyze movie scripts and to assess the economic potential of a script. And uh, the tools that I've uh, learned as part of the training um, have come back to me uh, time and again, but particularly over the last couple of years as we dove deeper into LinkedIn Uh, and marketing for agencies, high price points, long sales cycle, products and services. And um, in between my early training as a script analyst in Hollywood, I've uh, had a couple of businesses myself. I ran an event space in Berlin. I ran a print magazine and I launched a couple of conferences. Um, So you can already see all of them uh, are around people and content. And uh, that all culminated in what I'm doing today, which is developing LinkedIn marketing strategies, AI based for high price bond long cycle complex products and services.
0: I'm really impressed, Simon. I've known you for so many years now. I had no idea you were a Hollywood script uh, analyst. I mean, that's <laughs> Sounds very glamorous, doesn't it? <laughs> It, it is glamorous i mean I you know, mean people do you know who do, do that as they you know did that ever in, in the in their lifetimes that's that's really hmm. impressive uh, just out of, out of curiosity, did you ever sort of like is there any movie which I might know which you were which you analyzed for example um, or, or you follow? yeah the
1: the truth to be told there are um i was I'm being asked this question time and again um, and I have to go back to the folder where I have all my reports filed because I honestly forgot about all the films but the way sort of to illustrate what I did um, I, I was being sent movie scripts um, that were in production and uh, were being considered by by uh, licensed buyers whether they should buy this so I would read these uh, movie scripts that were in the process of being shot in Hollywood, and I would need to tell, um, in in the eyes of a European audience, is that something that we want to be part of? And so we've done. We've I've read a lot of Hollywood movies, um, but it's it's you always have to keep in mind that for every movie that we know, uh, there are about a hundred movies that no, no, nobody's ever heard of. Um, so maybe one in hundred is a movie that you would recognize because there's so much being
0: produced that nobody ever sees because it's not really good. Understood. That's that's really fascinating. So fast forward, obviously, you know, I know you do a lot of great work in within content, and so would it be fair to say that Hollywood has been replaced with LinkedIn and the actors or the scripts have been, you know, replaced with CEOs? And if so. How are you seeing this whole journey of of LinkedIn and, you know, and CEOs? Um, because obviously you you analyze scripts and so you understand the market really well. You understand, you know, what people will want to have, what we don't want to have. Mm. And, you know, using your skills for B2B, for example. Tell mm. me the, the landscape of how, firstly, how did you move from scripts to, to B2B, firstly? Mm. And then we talk a little bit about your experience within LinkedIn. And then Uh, we can jump
1: into other questions uh, as well. uh, I I love the question because it was always uh, when I when I was in Hollywood or when I was in the film industry reading movie scripts. um, Like once in a while, I would get a script that sort of really sort of gripped you and was really sort of captivating, emotionally um, interesting, and sort of like fascinating and i was always wondering why is it that certain scripts are just sort of like really captivating and like sort of like inspiring to read and to to watch as a movie and then you have like all these movies that sort of just fall flat and you, you you struggle to sort of put the finger on why what's wrong what's different here and so the whole art of uh, what i was trained or what script analysis is is to sort of try to point put the finger into why this doesn't work And um, the one thing that always fascinated me was to um, see movies like Aaron Brockovich, um, which is sort of one of my um, favorite examples that are so strong because you have characters that stand for something and that are against something else. And what it is at its core is that there are values in play. And we as humans um, are designed to, uh, identify or to resonate with values or sort of be be sort of like appalled by other values which sort of is a compass for our our world and um so whenever i would see a good movie you would have a character that clearly stood for something did this consistently maybe had some struggles about it inner outer struggles and then in the end was able to live up to these values and fulfill um, the the mission and vision of these values. And uh, so fast forward now 20, 25 years later to LinkedIn and writing, copywriting, um, we see the same with good content. If content and uh, content for, for CEOs on LinkedIn, if that works well, it is because somebody is taking a clear stance on something, and it's very clear what they stand for and what they are against, and that is the foundation that you need to have for a good movie script, and that you need to have to 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 have in a good LinkedIn post or in a good LinkedIn profile, or in, the, in a good brand for a CEO. If it's not clear what a CEO stands for, um, he becomes like replaceable and is not very interesting and i think we can see this with ceos like richard branson um who's very charismatic we call it charismatic but it's very clear he stands for having fun having a great uh uh, community having engaged employees and sort of making the customer king these are values and what he's not standing for is or what he doesn't stand for is corporate speak uh, gray suits and boring. boring and we understand this and uh, some people may like it others don't but um, that's a, a strong brand because he stands for something
0: understood and it makes a lot of sense so obviously these CEOs are busy people uh you know that they you know obviously Steve looks like he's always on his on his his island but probably he's a busy guy as well mm. and you know how do you split your time between these different things like, you know, actually doing deals versus like writing LinkedIn content. So in your experience, are CEOs going write their own content or do you, do you require help, for example? What's mm. your experience? And if so, give some insights into that. That's mm. all right, Simon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And um, I think it's it, it always depends on the CEO. And um, it depends on whether you like writing, whether you – um, have the the bandwidth to do this, so we see CEOs that actually like that, that, that 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 appreciate the the journey of of sort of gaining clarity about an idea and putting that into words, that then becomes a piece of content. And then there are CEOs who don't like that, or CEOs who do not have the time, though they would like to do it. Um, and depending on like where i stand as a ceo i have to make a decision okay am i willing to to write myself and if i don't have that um, willingness that's then where people i guess like you and i come in where we help them give them a voice and um, then the goal is to make that as authentically as possible but what we do is always first understand what does the ceo want do they have the capacity to write themselves do have the willingness and um that then could be that we either just come in as a coach from the outside and sort of explain them how to write um particularly for linkedin because i mean there's a base principles of storytelling that we just touched on with the values and then there's sort of like details algorithm details that work on linkedin like how you open a post um that help to to further post on LinkedIn. And that is where we then can help with coaching, explaining how you do that. Um, and if they don't want to do any writing or any um, yeah, content themselves, then we sort of take over the whole process and then we have to sort of get into the brain of the CEO and ideally understand what they stand for, what they're against, the, the, the value um, world of theirs. And then try to to pull that into content that is representable re- representative for the for the CEO.
0: Understood. Understood. Now, before I go a little deeper into you know LinkedIn and for content um, and you know writing in the, in the CEO's mindset or tone, I have a question which is regarding: Is LinkedIn the right platform for all CEOs, or is it right for just some CEOs? How do you go about analyzing which CEOs this is right or wrong, or is it it right Mm. for every CEO? Mm.
1: Well, I think it depends on the market you're in and the objectives that you have. And uh, clearly there are certain industries that are very, present on LinkedIn and other industries that are not very present. And then, as I said, the objectives. And let's take an example. Of if you are um, like in the, I don't know, if you run a cleaning company, um, that is could be a good place for a CEO if the target market for the CEO are people that are present on LinkedIn. So let's say I, I, I do um, cleaning, office cleaning and my buyers are tech companies who are sort of very active on LinkedIn, then that is a good match. Um, if I'm trying to to target, I don't know, schools, government institutions, probably not that good because these people are generally not that present. Um, so that is one uh, dimension we looked at. And then the other is um, the expectation that they have. Is, is it that they just want to... Uh, be more present to have a, to use a platform to put out more social media content or is it really that they want to drive sales by having very concrete offers um, that are present on the profile and depending on that I think it's easier to make an assessment and then say okay you could really go uh, into LinkedIn big time and get a clear RI or it's more like it's good to have a presence but don't expect to see a clear RI and that might be okay because they just want to be be more be more visible.
0: Understood. Understood. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that, Simon. So, I, I let's go back into you know sort of the journey of the CEO and LinkedIn. And I just have a question. For example, you know, one fine day, Simon, you're sitting by your phone and you get a call from Bob. Ring ring. Hey, Simon. My name is Bob. You know, I'm a CEO of this company. We're a B2B brand. We love LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and you know, this person, is, this person Bob, is like a bit of an eccentric actor, right? He's just unusual character. How do you go about understanding Bob? How do you go about understanding how to be like Bob on LinkedIn? How mm. how do you be a the authentic eccentric Bob, for example? Mm.
1: Well, um, I think one thing is always like how willing is Bob to be himself on LinkedIn. And uh, let's say he's re- very, very willing to be himself. And if he's sort of like a funny character, he's okay with sort of being a bit of a funny character on LinkedIn, then that's a big help. Because if you, if you're sort of like, if you feel uncomfortable being yourself on LinkedIn because you want to conform with uh, certain ideas or norms of what people do and don't do, then, then it's hard. So let's say he's happy with that. Um, so one thing we do is we do a a one-hour call where we, like in EO, we sort of like walk the lifeline of who are you, what have you done, what brought you to where you are. And um, we have sort of like interview questions that we ask, but they're more triggers to get them to talk about sort of what they believe in, what they treasure. And these things are then um, the nuggets of gold that we try to identify to understand what is what sort of like, what is the story and what is what are the things that he stands for and what are the things that he is opposed to. And um, with that, then we can draw a mental map. And uh, nowadays you have fantastic AI tools uh, with ChatGPT where we basically can take the whole interview transcript, feed it to ChatGPT and ask for like, okay, look for what are the values of this person? What, what are they for? Opposed, da, 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 da. and you get a pretty good representation of that person, and um, then we have an idea of who he is, and we can then um, pick stories that he sort of touched on, and sort of build them out into posts, and we can also um, train ChatGPT uh, to work with the tonality of that um ceo so use used the words as like give us a mental map of like what are the words of this person and so like design a prompt that we can use to then recreate uh, that language and a fun thing to do then sometimes is i've just tried that um, is to look for comedians um actually we should try this i tried this the other day um i told chatgpt to, to write something that like, uh, like in the style of trevor noah and then sort of i ran through a list of like 10 different comedians and i asked it to rewrite a situation from the point of view of this comedian and sort of got different kinds of fun fun stories and um, i could actually imagine that that would be a fun thing to ask the CEO, who are your favorite comedians what sort of kind of fun you like And then take that and infuse the analysis of the output that we could create with ChatGPT with this comedian. So you get the transcript from Bob, you have his tonality, you have a story, you write it, and then you ask ChatGPT now, sort of tune this story in the style of Trevor Noah um, to make it more funny, Um, and you could have a sort of nice synthesis between Trevor Noah and the CEO's uh, own own
0: fun way of being. I, I love that. I love the idea of like fusing. It's like you know, like Japanese fusion sushi. You know, and you kind of fuse fusing. You know, your fusion of like the CEO and and something which is maybe potentially their style, maybe not their style, but having a fusion there. And so in that, I have this kind of interesting question. Where I say, say for example, mm. Simon. You go to a coffee shop, you go to your, your favorite coffee shop in Cape Town and, and you, you, over there you meet Tracy, and Tracy says, "Hey, you know I've just hired this really, really amazing uh, coach for my, for my LinkedIn, and mm-hmm. I, I really want to make sure that this coach is doing a great job for me. How does Tracy what would you, what would you tell Tracy in the, in the advice of how, did, how does she go and rank or score?" the LinkedIn coach? Is there a way they can do it? Is there some sort of numbers or metrics mm. they can use to really analyze how well they're performing on their LinkedIn?
1: Mm. Well, That's a good question. I've never thought about that. but um, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it's all about uh, do posts written by that ghostwriter get traction? And um, I think that's the ultimate test. And um, there's a caveat here. If 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 I'm writing for a small audience, my favorite example is always uh, insurance tech specializing on outsourcing with Ukrainian tech people, um, probably your target market is very small. And so don't expect to get like 1,000 likes on your post. Um, because in this case, you're maybe targeting 100 people in the whole of Europe. Um, So in that case, then I have to look on LinkedIn, okay, my post only got five likes, but if these five likes are from people in this relevant industry, then everything is great. And um, so I think that is what we always have to keep in mind. And I was listening to a podcast the other week um, with one of the LinkedIn guys who sort of thinks about the algorithm, and he said something really interesting because he said we we are not big fans of viral posts we, we we don't try to sort of like suppress them but we don't think they're helpful we think we think helpful we think about being helpful in the sense of like did this post generate business or opportunities for the the author of the post and she said like we didn't we don't care about a post that gets a thousand likes if uh, another post only gets five likes but gets you on a call with somebody that is relevant to you. And that ultimately I think is that um, what somebody should evaluate when they work with a ghostwriter is does this, does, does get this me any kind of traction? Do I speak to people that are interesting and relevant to me? And if not, then obviously it's wasted money.
0: Interesting. So I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna not mention the person's name but I, there's somebody uh, with an EO who joined uh, one of the EO chapters uh, who I spoke to many many months back, and suddenly at on the one hint is it's definitely a he. And mm. so this this person <laughs> became a, like a superstar on LinkedIn. You know, mm. you can see thousands of likes and stuff uh, on, on every post that person did. Now I don't know if it's gamified or not, for example, but one thing it did for me was to suddenly think to, I think of this person like, oh, wow, what an amazing superstar this person is. I look at the post and I'm like, you know, they're literally ordinary, but it gets a lot of engagement of that. Mm. Almost sort of gamifying their brand, their image on, on LinkedIn. Now, that's what I observed on that. But now what you're saying is that actually even five likes are enough question for you simon in your experience working in linkedin with ceos is there a value of almost gamifying this and really getting those thousand likes for example proposed or Hmm. is that that stardom that sort of the linkedin stardom the hollywood stardom on linkedin really not required as such for for people because that doesn't really mean anything
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's really a complex uh, topic. And um, uh, now that you spoke about this person, I have a person in mind. Um, and uh, one thing that sort of comes to mind is there are ways to gamey, gamify, like game the system with LinkedIn. I mean, you know all about pods that get you hundreds of likes, and uh, you usually can pick up on these, and I'm sure you know this, if sort of the, the comments that you get in conjunction with the likes are very few and sort of rather sparse, like uh, great post, love it, uh, thanks for sharing. And it's often, often like awkwardly mismatching um, because it's sort of not something where you would say, hey, great for sharing because it's or like a great post because it's something that is really great. Um, so there are ways of uh, gaming the likes. Um, Interestingly enough, what we see, even if you use one of these tools, it doesn't get you reach, and um, it probably gets you credibility or um, status with the people that do see you, but it doesn't really help you because LinkedIn algorithms algorithm has, has gotten really smart, so it understands the the intention of a post, the tonality, and it can understand who should be seeing this post. And if it doesn't get that because the post is not really clear or isn't really written for a specific audience, uh, it can't do its job and it will not show this post to the people that you wanted to see. Um, and so then even if you get a hundred or thousand likes on the post, but if the post is wrong and you only get a thousand impressions, um, your target audience doesn't see it. So it's sort of like a bit futile and sort of like a vanity measure. And um, so it's, it's 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 definitely changed over the past years or months, shall I say, that this this pop thing kind of worked. But and in, in, the, in the light of day, if we think about it. What we want is we want to connect with people and be seen by people that are relevant and can sort of cooperate. And if we don't achieve that, no pot will help us, no like will bring us closer to this goal. So it's sort of like, may look good on the outside, but it's not really worth the money that they have to invest.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I think at the end of the day, it's about making the money, isn't it? So, mm. if, you know, J. McGuire is, you talk about, should me the money, you know, and, mm. you know, that that's what makes all of this worthwhile so yeah completely understand makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense uh, you, you, one thing it's you touched upon in your previous comment was about ai and how ai is helping uh, mm. because we work a lot in the seo space we, we still stay well clear when I mean, we use ai for our research work but when it comes to the AI production we still do mm-hmm. created content what's your take on ai powered content for linkedin is it a mm. good thing? Should it be used? Is there some challenges there? Any future mm. challenges there potentially? You're please, Simon.
1: Oh, we have to talk about SEO after the show. Um, sure. But uh, yes, um, I mean, it's been a journey with the AI writing and AI writing tools. Um, and so long story short is if you don't know who you're writing for and what the intention of your writing is, AI can't help you. And I think in 90 to 95% of the cases of marketing, writing, that is the big question. Who are we actually doing this for? What is the strategy? How is it supposed to work? Um, And AI can't help us with that question. Maybe sort of like, no, not really. so AI is a phenomenal tool if you know what you want, because you can prompt it. You can direct it to get you what you want. But in order to get there, you have to know what you want. And um, if you don't know that, then it can help you. And um, so I have great fun designing prompts that get me Trevor Noah-style posts for a CEO um, and the CEO has a clear message and knows exactly he want, what, what he wants to put uh, forward, then that's great. But if that is not clear, um, AI can help. And um, I think the, the big future with AI is to learn how to play it like a musical instrument so that you know what changes your prompts will uh, get if you change single words within that prompt so it's really understanding how you can sort of manipulate details of a prompt to get a vastly different output that then sort of like becomes closer to the vision that you have and it's actually the same with music i used to play guitar and you have an idea of like what you want to hear you have you have a melody you have a sound and then you try to get close to that sound by hitting the string in a certain way, or also like having having certain notes or whatnot. And it's the same with writing. Um, if we don't have this idea of what we want to read or hear or what the end result is, um, we cannot play the AI tool like a guitar because it's just going to make noise. And uh, it might look great on paper because it's a full page filled with the uh, Great-sounding words, but it's not going to work because there's no vision behind that. So that's that's my take on AI.
0: Interesting, very really interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Simon. So I, I hear about about you know knowing what you want from AI. In your experience, Simon, when you get say say you do, you do a prompt, you get some, something out from AI. Typically, is that something you just use then say you build the prompt one time it worked very well you use that again for the second second linkedin post typically you just use that post the way it is but you read it again and say well the first time i did the user prompt it did a great job this time the prompt didn't do a great job make sure Hmm. maybe i should change the prompt itself or do you then edit the not the prompt but actually the content uh around what's your, your your process of of using the mm. ai content generation which mm. you have using chat gpt or uh, you know llama or whatever it might be that you are using mm. to create content for AI?
1: yeah i mean let's start with with one thing um chat gpt or ai writing tools are great have their biggest strengths in ideation brainstorming because what what is easy to miss as as humans is how limited our view of things are we know the things we know we know there are a few things that we don't know but we don't know what we don't know and ai is a phenomenal tool to broaden our scope to broaden our horizon to see the things that we are not aware of and um so suddenly a, a 10x of like what we can um write about or how we can write about things. Um, just talking about uh, customer uh, research or ICP, ideal client persona research. Um, we also sort of like always biased to see the personas that we know um, because we know them, and we don't know the personas we don't know. So it's hard for us to write about them. Yes, we can do research, but I mean, let's on, let's be honest. How many? do invest the resources needed to do thorough research into the things that we don't know. It's time-consuming and it's, it's the gold standard, but nobody does it, or few people. And um, so AI is amazing for ideation because it helps us to see more, get a bigger picture and come up with ideas that we probably wouldn't have thought about. And to your question with, with the writing, um, I think it's it sucks at writing. Um, it's okay if we are really clear with what we want but it's not sort of like the writing that we would have done in the original post in the old days, they sort of like move to writing of the prompt um, so we invest a lot of time in writing the prompts and then even with the best written prompts I always rewrite posts because it's, I still have like a different idea and sort of like a different thing but um, it's it's a very iterative and organic process because I have sort of a couple of um, mini-prompts that I use just to write certain segments. So I have, a, I have my own um, prompt to write hook lines, which I've trained on great hook lines. Uh, so if I want a hook line, I can feed it the post, and then it gives me examples, uh, sample uh, ideas, suggestions for that post based on the prompts that I've used in the past. So I have a number of prompts that I use only for very specific elements of uh, a writing piece. And that then leads me to the other thing. Um, These tools work great if we have a standardized working process. So if we have a CEO and the CEO has basically three types of content that he does, or the three characteristic um, writing styles, then we can build a series of that because we have um, this, I don't know, um, Opinion piece that he always does, and he does it for certain things. Then it's easier to sort of get decently written posts because the um, more similar the training material is, the easier it is to replicate that and, and tweak it. But um, for that, you need to define for the CEO. Hey, Bob, here are the three pieces that we're going doing for you going forward. And then sort of like really train the system of these pieces. And then you can write that to a very high degree of quality. But there's always manual work involved. And there was a lot of manual work involved in getting the system to the point to do that.
0: Understood. Understood. And, and obviously, you know, that brings me to, to, to the, the point of the future, the future mm. of, you know, Simon Chepesar, who's, who's actually been a Hollywood script you know, script writer, analyst, for example, now doing, looking at LinkedIn and other CEOs, where do you see with this, this AI? Where what will be your role in the future? In three years from now, five mm. years from now, 10 years from now, with AI coming in, ChatGPT five, seven, who knows where, where mm. it goes next. Where, where do you see your role growing helping CEOs. Where do you see the CEOs dependent on AI? Um, so yeah, I mean if you were to like just like have this kind of dial and you just go ten years mm. from now, what would you be doing, Simon? Let, let us, let's have a have a sneak peek in your in your in your perspective as it were. Well
1: the other day I received a call from a fellow EO member that you also know and he was like I'm 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 done, I'm fucked, I can't take it anymore. And he was like completely stressed out because he thought he had figured out the processes in this business model, and then along comes AI and has to reinvent everything from scratch. And I can I can feel the pain, and it's sort of like exhausting because you feel like every day you you, you think you got it, and then sort of like something changes and you have to adapt the whole game. So um that, that is a bit stressful. Having said that, um also I uh, shy away from making any predictions because uh, I think I suck at making predictions about the future and probably it's gotten worse now with AI and more technology. So, and and then the, the third thing that I want to bring is um, Jeff Bezos at one point said, um, he was, I think it was an interview that you know, was being asked, uh, Jeff, tell us about, uh, I think similar question, like, Um, What is going to change? Where are we going to be in like five, 10 years? What is the market? And Jeff was like, well, why don't we talk about the things that don't change? And the things that don't change are customers want great service, great quality, and the lowest prices as fast as possible. And that is what will not change. So these are things that we can focus on. And let's try and meet these expectations and work towards that. Uh, because that is something we can plan with. We cannot plan with the future technology. And I, I'm I'm trying to do the same with my work and thinking about what the impact that we have. The, the thing that will not change in, in content creation is that people will resonate with stories that they can identify with because they have clear values and uh, they are well-written and they are original. Um, the way how we generate these pieces of content Uh, changes drastically and i could see a future at one point where ai understands a person and sees the whole marketplace and can see okay there's a gap because nobody else has that kind of uh, tonality or positioning or these values or whatnot and can say hey bob why don't you take that niche because that is sort of like uh, a niche that is a good match for you and it has huge economic opportunity if you do that. I can imagine that we get to that point at one point, Um, but I'm sure there are new things that we can then do to help Bob do his thing. Um, But yeah, it's really hard to make any predictions. And I think the prediction that I can make is that uh, we have to keep learning all the time to stay abreast of the changes that are happening. And uh, I think it's it's exciting. I love learning. It's uh, fascinating. And if we can help other people understand what's going on and maybe be less intimidated about change by understanding what's happening, then that's that's a great thing we can do.
0: That probably is the best answer I've ever heard from anyone in regards to the oh. prediction for the future. So well done, Simon. Absolutely smashed that with that one. Thank you. So, well, we're coming towards the end of the show, and there's this one thing, a thread, which kind of sues us all together, which is EO, which stands mm. for our organization. Obviously, I met you through EO. We, we, we keep meeting and loving each other through EO. You know, it is a thread that binds us together. So, so I'd love to know, how has EO impacted your life? What has mm. changed it brought into your life? obviously, negative positives, uh, hopefully more positive than negatives, but, yeah, tell us, what, Simon, how has the impact your life, and uh, what can you do for this, for example? Mm.
1: Well, I mean, um, I, I was shocked to find out or to realize the other day that I've been a member of this organization now for 10 years, um, and I joined it at a... I joined it that, that long a member, but um, I joined it um, in 2013, when I was still naive and maybe I'm still naive, but I was more naive back then. And I uh, took on a business opportunity that I thought I couldn't pass on. And uh, I I ended up choking on that opportunity because it was too big and too complex and too expensive and almost uh, killed me economically and drove me into bankruptcy almost. Um, But what happened was that at the time I um, had some money and I brought in some team members and elevated them to become co-shareholders and I realized that they sort of continued with the mindset of an entrepreneur uh, mindset of an employee but sort of didn't step up to the responsibility of a business owner. And that was when I realized um, that there's not really anybody can talk to because there are like some things that you don't want to talk about with your co-founders because it's sort of like too close to yourself or strategic ideas or whatnot. And um, that is when I discovered EO and uh, I thought, well, that's a great place to speak with like-minded people. And I think what then happened over the next couple of years months or years was that i came to understand what it means to be an entrepreneur because i never thought about me as being an entrepreneur i just like did things i had like an idea and hey let's do this thing it's going to be great people are going to love it and i just did it um but i never thought like and i feel like nowadays it's almost like all these people say i want to be an entrepreneur." Now let's think about what, what, what I can do. And I think back in the old days, or maybe true entrepreneurs, it's more like, I wanna do something, let's do it. And then suddenly next thing you know is, uh, oh, actually I'm an entrepreneur. That, that was sort of the situation for me that I came to realize, oh, actually in EO, there are all these people that are sort of like me in the sense that it's crazy to do things because they believe they're gonna work somehow and they're called entrepreneurs. And um, so that was, I think, a a life shaping, identity identity shaping event for me because I came to realize I'm I'm this kind of person. Doesn't mean it's better or worse than other people. It's just like okay, that's sort of like a trait that uh, that is unique for a certain group of people. And then sort of like. I found a tribe, as you say, in EO, and I realized, okay, everybody that I meet in EO is open-minded, and that takes us back to values and clarity. Um, I was just reading up the five values of EO. One of them is uh, thirst for learning, boldly go, what you have to do as an entrepreneur, um, and uh, three others that I've already forgotten. But, but really, the the, the boldly go and the thirst for learning are values that I identify with, and everybody that I meet in EO has this openness, has the willingness, and has a thirst to learn from others, which I've never encountered in any other organization to that degree. And um, that that has shaped me, shaped my life, and I think made me to a large degree, made, made me the person that I am today um, to a large degree
0: it's a great answer uh, and, I, I, and i completely agree with you on the idea of this pipe thing you know and i think i have a similar mindset where you know, mm. we are problem solvers and they've given us a name of entrepreneur but actually you know it doesn't mean a lot it, it, i didn't join i didn't start a business start a business i started as a business mm. sort of problem i completely agree with you on that and mm simon i can't thank you enough for today for your time today you've you've been an awesome guest such great insights into a variety of topics right from linkedin ceo ai course writing and i mean just i just realized that you know that, that you are somebody who was in part of the hollywood industry before which i had no idea about and obviously the surname and that the the, the French bazaar has gone kind of go so well with Hollywood. I think it's a great fit. So glad. I should to have stayed the... there
1: and made my career in Hollywood. With the French guy, the the fake French guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's it. Well, you bring that that French charm to LinkedIn and for CEOs. I think that, that's uh, that's that's awesome. I think we all need that. So thank you, thank you, Simon, for your time thank today. Thank you, Raj. It was a pleasure. Appreciate being it. here. And. All the best for your father. I'm sure you'll really, really mm. love that journey, and I've really enjoyed it. So, uh, so yeah, all the best with that as well. Take care. Thank yourself. you. Thank you, Raj.